this is the second part of a crossover episode with when the when in spain podcast uh so today with me on the sobremesa podcast um i have paul birch welcome paul pleasure thanks for having me yeah well i suppose this is like a shared uh podcast today isn't it it's like it's like the yeah. cheesy, cheesy Spanish saying, my my home is your home or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, literally yeah. is today. Well, absolutely. It's been it's been good to do this finally, because I think uh, we've, we've been in touch for quite a long time. And uh, I think you'd listen to my podcast a few times. And then you've, start, mm. you've recently started your own podcast as well. And we thought well, this is a great opportunity to to get in touch again and, and, and actually record something together. So, yeah. so it's a great a real pleasure to to do it um finally because uh yeah i think we, we first spoke uh, well over a year ago i think now yeah right? yeah that's true uh, so yeah yeah it's good, um, it's good to collaborate for sure um i guess my podcast we, we both produce podcasts about spain but i guess my podcast is a little more general more looking at culture and travel yeah. and that kind of thing whereas obviously yours focuses more on 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 politics and society i would say yeah i, I guess no? <laughs> yeah and um i yeah no i think that's definitely the definitely a good point and i think uh so the the reason i, I was going to interview you today was about like you know the image of spain it's it's quite a quite an abstract concept but you know you've interviewed a lot of people that are outsiders living inside spain uh or or, or and people and spanish people as well but you know i think you've got a very good um you know you've got your finger on the pulse of of the image of spain from an outsider's <laughs> perspective but also from a, a spanish perspective as well um so uh my first question to you and sort of an open question really you can take it where you want uh yeah. was was more around you know, will the coronavirus change uh, how Spain sees itself and how others see Spain? And the reason I ask this question is because, you know, the the lockdown, when it was first used, it was one of the most, uh, it was the strictest in Europe. You know, we couldn't go out at all. And then later on, we sort of opened up quite quickly to try and save the tourism season. Um, and then since then, it's sort of, you know, the government and and I think, you know, the population themselves have sort of taken a bit more of a relaxed, um, a relaxed approach to coronavirus. And it's been more, it's been more located in the regions managing rather than the central government managing. Uh, yeah. And some areas managing better than others, or they have completely different approaches, uh, depending on you know, how listeners want to inter interpret that. Um, but do you see this change in like, yeah, the image of Spain for Spaniards and for people outside, really? Well, I think um, certainly looking at the image of Spain from the outside to start with, for me, that's kind of maybe the more logical place to start, is that um, I think um, when we go back to sort of March, April, when the pandemic first became very apparent and the gravity of the situation became uh, apparent. Um, I think the thing that 
that, that struck me was that there was this uh, looking at international news media and looking at British news media, for example, uh, the focus was not on the gravity of the situation in Spain, because uh, Spain was obviously one of the worst affected uh, countries in terms of cases uh, going back to the beginning of the crisis. But what was portrayed outwardly, I guess, to the world um, was the kind of sense of solidarity uh, and unity and strength uh, among Spanish citizens in the face of the mm. coronavirus. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, I've seen on, on the BBC, for example, and other international news media, everyone looking at Spain, and I suppose also Italy, you could say, of this uh, coming together, people going out and clapping on their balconies every single night in support of healthcare workers, and then latterly that became kind of in support of basically anyone who was, um, you know, having to continue working in face-to-face -face, uh, jobs in the midst of this uh, pandemic. And those were the kind of images which were, uh, you know, we were bombarded with outside, well, within Spain, of course, but outside of Spain it was like, look, look what's happening here. We've got people mm. clapping, we've got people uh, having, uh, holding uh, concerts outside on their balconies, on their rooftops, people giving exercise classes. Um, there were uh, incidences of all around Spain was happening, people uh, giving bing, having bingo uh, sessions from their balconies, this kind of thing. <laughs> I think yeah. at the beginning, it was that kind of that kind of sense of solidarity coming together uh, socially in the face of the of the pandemic, I suppose. Because if I make the comparison maybe with the UK, um, we didn't see so much of that, I don't think. No. Uh, talking to my family back in the UK and certainly from images that were coming out of the UK around the same time, people just seemed to be very much kind of, I don't know, shut away, less neighbourliness. I mean, I must say mm. during the the beginning of the pandemic i really got we really got to know our neighbors very well and people were bringing food up to each other and this kind of thing which i think maybe in the uk just didn't happen and i guess you could say maybe that's because in the uk there wasn't such a strict lockdown uh well, really there wasn't a lockdown at the beginning per se compared mm -hmm. with spain which had had one of the strictest lockdowns uh in the world at that time um so for me that was the enduring image of spain that came out of the beginning of uh, COVID. And I suppose that's kind of in tune with maybe how outsiders view Spain as this kind of very friendly, jovial, uh, um, sociable uh, population of people, you know, that just when something like this happens, hate being cut off, hate being isolated from each other, as we, mm. you know, we both know that um, Spaniards, love to socialize uh, whether it's with their family or their friends they are incredibly warm open sociable people um, and i think suddenly being put in a situation where they were confined to their uh, homes was mm. something just completely alien for a for a spaniard to be put in this situation but maybe uh in the uk for example less less so less alien um to be you know shut away um, I don't know. So, I mean, that for me, I think, was the kind of image that was certainly initially shown outside of Spain mm. um, in, a, I suppose, quite a lighthearted way. Whether uh, the image of Spain for Spaniards uh, themselves inside of Spain, whether the COVID uh, pandemic has highlighted uh, any, uh, I don't know, shortcomings, um, I, I guess I would say it's true. I, I think 
I would touch on um, what we've spoken about in our, our other episode we've done together is maybe it's exposed to uh, your average Spaniard, uh, the precarious nature of, of jobs, um, maybe it's exposed uh, problems uh, with the healthcare system, uh, underfunding, uh, lack of capacity to deal with this kind of situation. Uh, and, and also, I think another thing it highlighted was possibly the inability for the government and regional governments to really get a handle on the situation uh, quickly. I mean, I think that's probably something that's come to light mm. more recently uh, in the last couple of months as uh, there has been you know, a lot of criticism about the handling of the pandemic in Spain, about how uh, you know, the government didn't react quickly enough, that there weren't uh, enough um, resources available to deal with it. And a lot of, as we talked about in the episode, the other episode we've done together, um, the, politicize, the, politi the, politi the politicization of, of, of the pandemic, I think for most Spaniards has been incredibly frustrating. Mm. Almost alienating, like to a degree where, you know, no matter which side of the political spectrum you support, everyone's a bit sick of it. And um, I think there was a fate, you know, towards the end of the first lockdown, there was the, you know, the, the protests in the very posh neighborhood of Salamanca. Um, and then as soon as the ban was lifted and the, and that they sort of spread throughout Madrid and they were, they weren't really, in other, they were a little bit in other parts of Spain, but not really. Um, and then, you know, football came back. And I famously remember reading <laughs> someone say, why are the riots and, and the protests all over? Oh, the football's back now. Um, so, yeah. you know, but I think that level of resentment uh, that made some people on one political wing go out and protest in their cars, famously. They did a car protest. Um, That's um, right, on the Castellana. On the yeah. Castellana, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but even if you weren't uh, in support of this protest or you weren't politically aligned to this protest, you probably still feel a bit of, oh, like a deep, oh, that it's politicised, everything's politicised. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's something that was around before coronavirus, wasn't it? It's just been exacerbated by coronavirus, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It has been exacerbated by coronavirus. And um, I think, I mean, I think it was inevitable that this was going to be politicised. But um, I think maybe, you know, uh, what are we looking at now? Six, five or six months on. I, I get the impression from speaking to my Spanish friends, um, and I'm not quite sure what the opinion would be from outside of Spain, but certainly inside Spain, speaking to Spaniards that I know, um, I'm actually kind of quite shocked at the level of politicization that's happened with mm. coronavirus in the last few months. And actually, um, whichever political creed, creed they are, on both sides or in the middle or wherever, um, I'm actually quite disappointed with with um, how this is now kind of overshadowing uh, the reality of the crisis. I mean, uh, that there, there's been so much time wasted um, 
arguing about who is right and who is wrong and how who should, how we should be managing the coronavirus and political point scoring and um, trying to pass blame. Um, uh, I, in my in for my Spanish friends that I've spoken to, they're actually now really fed up with it, regardless of their you know political uh, beliefs. Mm. Um, I think yeah. in general they're just absolutely tired with the situation. And also given the fact that um, you know Spain continues to be and has been during throughout this crisis one of the worst affected countries in the world um yeah. and you know really during the last few months there doesn't really seem to have been any light at the end of the of the tunnel really mm. um so i suppose are fed up yeah and i suppose you know um you mentioned the other episode we did which uh that's the episode where paul interviews me about you know, more about politics and the economy and the future of Spain uh, mm -hmm. and with regards to coronavirus, which you can hear over on his podcast. Um, but like what we were saying in, during that interview was that, you know, Spain's been given one of the silver linings of this coronavirus is the EU money, um, which they will be able to make structural reforms um, and, you know, investment into the country, which uh, is very much needed. Um, I don't think anyone would dispute that, but the important thing would be, you know, how do you go about it? I mean, that's that's like where the politics comes into it. But uh, I think, and I'd, I'd be interested to see if you agree with me on this, that coronavirus has sort of cemented any cynic, cynical view of the politicians in Spain that the population once had. So, you know, up all the way up, through, I mean, no one was really bothered by it through the boom by the by the look of it but after the boom and the crash in 2008 2010 there was this whole wave of distrust in politicians and 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 the institutions and that you know that wasn't just in spain that was across the world um and this sort of cynical our politicians are only out for themselves and um they don't really care about their citizens um i think that sort of kind of been cemented by coronavirus uh, like look not... look how incompetent our politicians are um yeah i think i don't know do you agree with that i i would i would definitely go along that and that definitely echoes um you know conversations i've had with with spanish friends um uh, you know sadly it, it, yeah it, it's just confirmed what you know our worst fears that the, mm. the, the, the maybe whether you could argue of incompetence or whether you would argue of uh, political point scoring whether mm. you would, could argue that it's uh you know this is a huge global problem this is a you know a, a pandemic this is a, almost you know an unprecedented situation um and i think you know people are pretty shocked that this is seems it's seen as uh politically uh with all of this uh infighting and political point scoring that the issues are being kind of brushed under the carpet the problems are being kind of trivialized somewhat in favor of um political parties you know trying to score points against each other and that's mm. uh you're right i mean the trust in politicians i think uh in general probably has never been great and wasn't great uh certainly following the crisis 
uh, and this interim period between the, the, the crisis of 2008 and where we are now. And all that this is sought to do is, 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 is confirm that, certainly among Spaniards that I've spoken to, uh, my Spanish family, my girlfriend's family here, and my Spanish friends, uh, are, are just kind of completely, uh, almost perplexed by it, just that they can't actually believe that, uh, that, that party politics is taking, is taking precedent over actually uniting, despite your differences, to actually really try and, uh, you know, uh, find a solution to dealing with this uh, COVID problem in Spain. Um, so there's, a, I think, you know, a high, huge, a high level of frustration in general mm. um, that I've experienced. And you're absolutely right. Uh, I think trust in politicians at the moment, I would say, is probably uh, <laughs> at an all time low. And it's incredibly frustrating when you're seeing people losing their jobs, when you've seen people uh, have been furloughed, uh, when you've seen people uh, struggling to manage uh, looking after their children, their families, childcare, uh, having members of their family uh, sadly die because of the coronavirus. Um, and uh, in, in, in the background, all that's happening is a lot of noise with mm. very little... Uh, kind of always kind of lack of consideration for for the electorate and the population I would say mm. and you know I I don't know about you but the the sort of the result of this uh well not just as a result of this but also as a coronavirus is there has been a surge in in support for the nation I think so like before the coronavirus you obviously had the uh, you know the Catalonia question some people might call it um, or the Catalonia yeah. issue, which, you know, really ramped up sort of quite a nasty streak of nationalism. Uh, I used to work in Salamanca. I worked there for about a year. And it's the poshest neighborhood in Madrid, beautiful white buildings. And then suddenly after this sort of day in, I think, was it day in October or something like that, in, in, during the referendum in, in Catalonia, suddenly the, the, the most expensive area in Madrid was was furnished with these like really cheap polyester Spanish flags. Um, you know, since then, <laughs> yeah, and since then we've had the rise of Fox, and you know, there's been this sort of there was like this nation nationalism, but not nice nationalism. And I think as as a non-Spaniard, you sort of feel the effects of that. Um, you know, positive nationalism being the you know the sort of nationalism or patriotism you might get when a country wins the World Cup or something like that, maybe. Um, but I did feel this sort of positive nationalism uh, or patriotism sort of come back during the coronavirus. Um, do you think that that uh, even though, you know, that might be a low point for Spanish politics, you know, that people's trust in politics, the, the trust in the country or the belief in the Spanish country as a nation has increased? Uh, yeah, I think I think I think I would agree with that. I think it kind of depends. I suppose it kind of it depends how you define positive nationalism. I think yeah. there's definitely been uh, a sense and a feeling of uh, feeling more united against mm. against against this virus, of course. Um, but I don't know. In on the whole, I have to say that really, what I've witnessed and what I've seen has has probably been more negative i would say this has right. kind of been catalyst to uh, as you said for uh vox uh, following um the referendum in catalonia 
Um, but I think this is kind of almost uh, polarized uh, the situation more through this uh, politicization uh -huh. of the situation with COVID. So, I mean, um, I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I think maybe, yes, there's, there's obviously solidarity at a time like this between people uh -huh. caring for each other and, and, and trying to stay uh, physically and emotionally strong and sane yeah. uh, in this difficult time. Um, so I, think, I guess in that sense, as a nation, yeah, maybe there is um, uh, cohesion in terms of communities and people being more neighborly, as I mentioned at the, at the top of the podcast. But I think I would say that unfortunately, the, the, the nature of the, how this is being played out politically, it, it seems to be uh, polarizing politics more and more, um, um, particularly you know, if you take into account Vox um, and a lot of the kind of uh, fake news that's being thrown around as well around coronavirus. Um, and, and the constant political point scoring and the situation, for example, that we've seen with uh, Ayuso uh -huh. in Madrid and the central government um, kind of, you know, going backwards and forwards on, on this. Um, and this has not helped anybody. And no. so I, I, I don't know that I've, I've seen, uh, I don't think I would say it's created necessarily a positive wave of nationalism as no. such. I don't know if you'd agree with that. I mean, yes, as I said, that people are maybe looking out for each other more in general. But mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a strange thing, isn't it, nationalism? Because I think it means different things for different people. Um, I think... Uh, has, has, coronavirus, has, has the coronavirus pandemic made Spaniards feel prouder of their country and prouder to be Spanish? And I would probably say no. No. But as a nation coming together, like, yes, I don't know. It's that sort of double binary, isn't it? The sort of not proud of what we haven't achieved, I suppose, but uh, sort of, but we're all in this together, maybe, like that solidarity in the moment. Absolutely, uh -huh. I think it's all, it, all in this together. I mean, it's a sort of a bit like, you know, going to war and a war, a bit of a cliche, <laughs> uniting a, a country, yeah. a war is this, this virus. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, yes. But um, I don't know if it's necessarily emboldened Spaniards to feel uh, prouder or whether they uh, about being Spanish or whether they feel that Spain is, uh, you know, acting with strength in the face of this yeah. uh, grave situation. Um, I would say probably not, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, like an, a heightened a heightened solidarity but between the people, but not necessarily uh, an increased, um, you know, um, rising good, like, nationalism. Uh, yeah, or... yeah. I think... I mean, looking at some uh, some stats that I researched for this episode, um, I mean, this is going back to looking uh, internationally how Spain's response to COVID has been perceived. Um, uh, you, I think you've, you've heard of the Elcano Institute. I mm. interviewed one of my previous episodes, uh, William Chislett, who was a founding member of the Elcano right. Institute, which is a... Uh, a reputation institute, I suppose, a think tank that, that, that 
uh, carries out surveys and studies and benchmarks and things like that. Um, now they published uh, uh, a, a ranking of how Spain's been perceived internationally, re uh -huh. its reputation uh, in the wake of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, at, uh, according to their their survey and their stats, they say that uh, this is this was this this came out uh, a couple of months ago, so just mm. after uh, the worst of the the lockdown, I suppose. Uh -huh. Actually, so far, and of course this could change, that Spain overall um, is is ranked in terms of perception internationally uh, the same as it was in 2019 last year. Right. Uh, um, uh, in terms of uh, its 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 reputation on numerous benchmarks, economy, healthcare, uh -huh. uh, health of society and politics, um, is, is is currently ranked thirteenth uh, out of fifty five main economies in the world for its for the best international image, which I think is quite curious actually, mm. uh, given the the situation. Um, whether that will you know, if they carried out a, a similar survey now, um, a few months on, um, whether that would change or not um, mm. would be interesting to to see. But at the moment, according to these statistics, um, Spain's reputation seems to have remained intact so mm. far. Which I find surprising. I don't know about you. Um, I mean, I would say, given that for your average person, uh, the reputation of Spain is probably focused on on tourism internationally. Mm. Um, so, so that's interesting to see. It's placed a, in yeah a thirteenth position among fifty five yeah. uh, economies in the world, and it, it even ranks higher than the United Kingdom and Germany, for example, which right. is uh, which is curious. And do you think? I mean, you were talking about this sort of um, the, the polarization being quite a negative thing. Um, you know, it hasn't done anything for, um, you know, it hasn't been a positive thing for the for the country. Do you think that this is going to have a negative effect on the image outside of Spain? Um, well, I think, uh, I think, it, I think it will. I think it will, because I think if you, like you touched, touched upon earlier, um, with the, um, with the situation with uh, Catalonia and the the banned independence referendum going when was it back in 2017 mm. um, that did affect Spain's uh, international reputation uh, the way i think more the certainly the way it was uh, was handled yeah uh, the way catalonia's independence bid was handled uh, the police uh, the police crackdown and uh, and then the fact that uh, it, it declared independence to, to absolutely no avail whatsoever. Um, yeah, that that undoubtedly uh, dented Spain's reputation, and it and it uh, it did. Uh, looking at statistics, drop below uh, other European countries such as uh, Germany, Italy, and France, where previous to that it was, um, it was it was it was way ahead. So that had an effect. So I think if you look at that, and then you look at the coronavirus, I, I think. Undoubtedly, this is going to affect uh, Spain's reputation, but I guess it depends uh, from which perspective you're looking at it, because uh -huh. um, whether you're looking at it uh, on a, from an economic and political point of view, or whether you're looking at it from, um, you know, your 
average person's perception of Spain, um, mm. particularly as I'm going back to what I said with tourism, whether, you know, will it, will it put people off coming to Spain to, to spend their holidays in the future or not? Um, I don't know, I think uh, possibly, but I think uh, Northern Europeans, Americans, uh, have a, a very uh, have, have had a long term relationship with Spain. It's a country that feels very familiar to most of us um, because of that uh, long history of tourism. And we saw, indeed, even during the uh, during the last few months during the the pandemic uh, here in Spain, um, you know, there were still people queuing up. Uh, wanting to come and tr were trying to get to Spain to have some kind of holiday uh, this summer and you know reading feeds and Facebook groups and uh, articles in the British press and on Twitter of people constantly asking when can I come to Spain uh, you know when are they are they going to open up these uh, corridors these air corridors and yeah. things uh, and even in my Facebook groups and, and people contacting me from the UK and America saying, what's the situation? Am I going to be still going to be able to come to Spain? So um, in that sense, for your average person, I don't think that it necessarily put them off particularly, actually. Uh, whether that now, again, you know, we're in November now and I'm talking about sort of, you know, July and August uh. Uh, when, you know, the lockdown had been relaxed for that reason, to try and encourage tourism, to try yeah. and uh, uh, tempt people to come and spend their holidays in Spain. I didn't really get the feeling at any point that people were like, no, no way am I going back to Spain because the situation is so, is so dreadful there. Mm. I'm going to consider going you know, somewhere else or stay at home. There still seemed to be uh, people fairly desperate to still come and uh, spend their holidays in Spain, whether they had already booked something or, 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 or not. So, yeah. um, and, you know, and that's obviously very important for Spain and the Spanish economy still. Um, and as we've seen with the, uh, uh, the problem with the uh, pandemic in Spain, that it's, it's, you know, it's actually destroyed the tourism industry and all of the associated industries with it, which has um, economically been economically a disaster. Um, and, and has been a, a created an incredibly difficult situation for those uh spaniards who work in the tourism sector so whole cities um, sometimes yeah yeah absolutely yeah 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 i mean whether you would say uh, economically or politically um spain has lost face internationally or within europe um yeah i would say quite possibly um given the handling of the situation uh, given that still uh, still continues to have some of the highest uh, cases of COVID in Europe um, and the lockdown worked. It, it did, uh, you know, massively reduce the number of cases. But I think the criticism from outside would be that they opened up too quickly, um, mm. uh, really just to save their own backs, I suppose, to save the economy, uh, particularly related to tourism. And now we've seen that, you know, these lockdowns, they work, but it's just a temporary solution. As soon as you open up again, um, the numbers shoot back up again. Um, yeah. So I think there was a lot of criticism from outside um, that that was the problem, that Spain just simply opened up too quickly there after the initial lockdown, that mm -hmm. the, they relaxed the rules too much. Um, 
and and look at where we are now in the second wave spain has been one of the worst affected countries certainly in europe during the second wave yeah and i, I suppose something that ha we won't really see yet is the after results of of the coronavirus so you know not just on on your average size business but um you know smaller businesses and there are a lot of smaller businesses uh in spain that unfortunately will have had to have closed uh permanently well many permanently uh many old institutions and old you know these old bars and the old shops and the local butchers and that you know all of these local businesses that i think often sort of feed into the authenticity that draws many people from more sort of commercial capitalist northern uh european and american countries i think they are yeah. born to sort of the south of, of europe by these sort of you know this authentic as you know they say like the real spain or, or whatever that means to the person um i suppose this all sort of formed like the identity that um that people buy into when they come on holiday here and it's you know it's one of the reasons they come on holiday here yeah, absolutely i think yeah i mean uh setting aside the all kind of typical package holiday destinations of the costas and the high-rise hotels um yeah. i think for anyone who really kind of scratches beneath that and looks at what i would call the deeper spain the more real spain um, that is without doubt part of the country's charm, for sure. And I, I was, you know, going back to when I first moved to Spain five or six years ago, I was absolutely astounded at, at just how, you know, the culture of the small business, of the family-run bar, of the local grocery store, of having, uh, you know, fruit and vegetable shops and bakeries and butchers, yeah. like you said, um, which disappeared in the UK probably 20, 30 years ago. Um, yeah. But here is still absolutely, you know, an essential part of daily of daily life and, and undoubtedly part of the charm of Spain when you get out of the kind of touristy zones and you get into the towns and the cities. And certainly for anyone who's, you know, explored the deeper Spain or for certainly for anyone who's living in Spain or has lived in Spain, um, will know that absolutely this is this is part of the charm of Spain, which makes it absolute an absolute joy to live in. Is the curiosities of these small, uh, these small business and businesses and family-run businesses. But I think you know, unfortunately, um, because of COVID, we are going to see a number of them close for sure. I mean, I've no noticed in Madrid, in the areas where I live, and when I walk around the centre of Madrid. Uh, that even now, um, many of these businesses remain closed with the uh, little notice in the window saying we'll open as soon as we can. Um, but whether they will or not, we don't know. And I've also seen, you know, reported in the local media here in Madrid and in Spain, uh, many businesses have, have unfortunately been killed off by the COVID uh, mm. virus because, you know, they've just, they, they've not probably been operating on the edge you know enough living month to month enough to be able to uh, sustain themselves mm. um, but when you have to shut your business for two or three months um it's impossible for them to continue or if you have to operate your business um but you know at a 50 percent you know um yeah. i think a lot of business owners have just said 
it's not it's not viable we we can't we can't yeah. we can't open with only 50% of um, our customers or 50% capacity which is a huge huge yeah and it will be interesting to see longer term the fallout from covid in terms of how it affects these uh, small yeah. businesses Pain. um yeah it's, i suppose there's two there's two types isn't there though because like you've got i mean you live in sort of central madrid where a lot of these small independent family-run businesses medium-sized businesses rely a lot on tourism and and they they keep afloat because of tourists um that isn't a bad thing you know but it's their main form of income uh yeah. i live in like a commuter town in in madrid and the local economy has actually thrived because no, no one could leave the town. Um, but, you know, these are, <laughs> you know, that, so there are some local businesses that have been able to stay alive because of all of these, uh, because of the lockdown. So they're not all shut, but like, it's the ones that sort of, um, you know, that, that make money off tourism, really, that, um, that sort of also sustain this image of, of authentic Spain and and it you know if they all shut then uh, you know I, I I just hope that, that Spain doesn't turn out like the UK where you know it's got a WH Smiths and a Primark and a Marks and Spencers <laughs> on every high street and they all look the same because you know that's part of the charm of Spain for me. Well, absolutely, and that would be tragic. And I think that's something mm. you certainly notice when you when you come to Spain is just how diverse the your local uh, high street, if you like, is. That it's not mm. just filled with uh, the same chains that you see replicated all over, you know, in, in every town yeah. and city, which is is sadly the case in the UK for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously tourism's taken a massive hit in the centre of Madrid, does attract uh, a high a high, a high, level of tourism, maybe not as much as somewhere like Barcelona. I still really kind mm. of see Madrid as a little bit more off the beaten track compared to maybe your Barcelona or Seville yeah. uh, or, or even Valencia, perhaps. Mm. Uh, Spanish capital is not necessarily right up there. No. But yes, it's undoubtedly uh, those small independent businesses in the centre of Madrid have perhaps been affected have uh, been worse affected by the situation because of the basically evaporation of all tourism overnight you know yeah. it's, uh, that 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 is a that's a real shame but I, I mean i also think you know in the neighborhood where i live there are certainly little uh you know neighborhood bars which a tourist probably wouldn't consider going into right okay but, but are, pat are patronized by you know, elderly, elderly neighbours, you know, the neighbours, yeah. uh, you know, you know, people who are maybe in their 70s or 80s who go down and every day and have their menu del dia and their glass of wine or their caña of beer, um, that now are literally just too scared to go out in public and, and do that. Yeah. And would not patronise their local bar anymore and would stay at home. Um, it's definitely a reality. I was queuing up the other day in the bank and I was behind an elderly lady who was probably in her, I'd say, mid-70s, who was withdrawing, I think, like, she wanted to withdraw 2,000 euros in cash. And I heard her talking to the uh, the cashier in the bank saying, well, I'm just, I, I have to withdraw this large sum of money because I, I don't go out of my apartment anymore and I need some cash to pay the delivery guy and I need some cash to give to my children to do the shopping for me. And, and yeah. she, <laughs> she was saying that she hadn't left her apartment for for months wow. so i think obviously that that's that's certainly having an effect on, yeah. on these small businesses as well and it's uh 
it, it's really sad to see. And not only that, I've noticed certainly in Madrid, um, the sudden availability of, of apartments. You're seeing a lot of uh, signs going up around, you know, hanging from balconies saying for sale or for, for rent. Um, and I'm guessing that's because many people have decided to leave Madrid and move out of the city mm. um, because they feel safer or they want more space, which is something else that's uh, happening at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Or sadly, because these apartments belonged to maybe, uh, you know, older people who passed away because of COVID and their families yeah. are selling their, selling their apartments. So mm. um, it will be... Yeah, it's uh, it's having a, a really really serious effect on on small businesses for sure. And on yeah. the flip side of that is like I suppose you know some of these rented apartments were Airbnbs, and I think before the coronavirus, tourism had or hyper tourism had got to a point where people were graffitiing on the side of buildings, tourists go home, and you know obviously Barcelona was a lot was severely affected by huge amounts of tourism from from cruise liners and things like that or you know these you know the package holiday but the package holiday it sort of extends into sort of city breaks and things um can you yeah. see like tourism changing and how can you see it changing um with regards to the future yeah that's a really good question um i mean I would say that I, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the uh, culture of Airbnb has really been fairly detrimental to local neighborhoods for sure. And one thing that's interesting that I've noticed during the, the, the pandemic is that these Airbnb apartments now are being advertised to be rented as uh, monthly, well, you know, as, as long-term rents for local people these people have obviously bought up apartments and were renting them previously as as tourist rentals through platforms like airbnb are now uh, renting them uh to you know people who actually live in madrid or live yeah. in uh, which is uh, which is something that's quite interesting in terms of changing tourism um i i mean i certainly don't think long term that uh people are going to stop coming to spain um no for tourism of course because it's got such a long history of tourism mm. um in terms of how it would change tourism uh i don't know whether it would necessarily make uh, con uh a sort of i don't know create a conscientious form of tourism or a more sustainable form of tourism uh i i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know how 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 would this how the, how this would change tourism to be honest i think in terms of practical measures, maybe for a, a, a year or two, we might see uh, restrictions on, you know, uh, hotel yeah. occupation. We might see restrictions on how many people can go inside the Prado Museum. We might still be seeing restrictions on, on in, you know, in the hostelry sector, restaurants and bars in terms of mm. how, how many people can uh, frequent them at a given time. But other than that, I don't know how I would see yeah. it, how it, how I would see it changing tourism. Um, whether I don't know, I don't know whether people would uh, necessarily change their their habits at all. I don't think so. How longer term uh, the Spanish tourism sector would respond to the situation? I I, I don't think necessarily it would change. I think for the Spanish tourism sector, they would 
want to go back immediately as, as quickly as possible to to how things were before mm. um, rating as much money as possible which is not necessarily a good thing as you've mentioned with places like uh, Barcelona and, and over tourism and cruise yeah. ships coming in and this kind of thing is is not necessarily the tour the type the kind the type of tourism that we want to see whether you're uh, a tourist who you know comes to Spain and that's not your cup of tea or whether yeah. you live here or whether you're a Spaniard who's fed up of seeing your neighborhoods overrun with Airbnb rentals yeah um, yeah I but uh, that's a really good question how can we adapt tourism to be more friendly to uh the 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 people who live in spain and the locals and how we can make tourism more more sustainable in the longer term and how we can have a balance of you know airbnb but without it uh pushing up uh, rental prices for for people who live here mm. uh it's a, it's a it's an interesting question um and do you think uh, this is the coronavirus like because i mean we don't always need answers but it's like will the current do you think do you think spanish society will start asking these questions or was it already asking these questions and it's pushed them to the forefront about being overly reliant on tourism yeah i think absolutely without a doubt i mean i think this is something that will certainly come out of this situation is that uh, spain the government the tourist sector, uh, hotels, uh, every level will be looking at, you know, uh, how they can adapt. But certainly, I think in terms of, uh, at a national and governmental level is, is, is looking at how they will need to look at how Spain can diversify its economy in that respect, for sure. Mm. Um, as we talked about in the podcast that we did together uh, previously, um, we've looked, we know that Spain is massively over over reliant on tourism as a sector mm. and when something like this happens we've we've seen what's happened it's 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 uh, been had a devastating effect um but i always think you know it's maybe an opportunity to look at the, the kind of tourism that spain um that spain offers mm. um because i think um if we're talking about tourism I think Spain has always had this kind of, I don't know, maybe fairly negative association, depending on your point of view, um, of the kind of cheap, cheap package holiday. Uh, you know, this is the kind of tourism that Spain for decades, I think since the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s, has been the kind of tourism that Spain has always kind of relied on and has kind of maybe um sold itself on maybe mm. uh, and probably too much and maybe it's an opportunity to look at uh changing its image in that respect mm. um you know i i always think it's curious to look at spain and maybe compare it with france and italy mm. and if you look at the type of tourism it's undoubtedly it's un undeniable that 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 spain attracts the kind of you know the cheaper end maybe the slightly lower quality uh type of tourist or holiday experience compared to france or italy i always uh. think that sometimes maybe there's an element of snobbery about spain compared with other european countries and that you know people and it's not completely not true but because of this reputation 
of the cheap package holiday for such a long time mm. when people think of holidays in Spain maybe for the most part they are thinking of your kind of Costa del Sol high-rise hotel laying on the beach and um, yeah. not, 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 not really offering an authentic experience compared with maybe Italy where I think the focus is more on you know uh, the countryside and wine and, you and know, Paris Tuscany. and yeah yeah and this kind of thing a more authentic experience I don't mm. when I think of holidays in Italy I personally don't think of you know beach holidays and high-rise apartments and full English breakfast you kind of think it's a more romantic kind of mm. image that they've uh, that they've uh, projected you know and, and I yeah. think the same with France you know France is Paris and then it's kind of the regions of France and, you know, wine and chateaus and, uh, you know, the, the, the Côte d'Azur, which is quite, an, if anything, an elite holiday destination. Mm. So in that, in that sense, uh, Spain's quite different, which is a real shame because it, Spain has so much more to offer than, than the typical package holiday experience. And I think that's something that potentially it needs to to tap into in the future yeah. the, the Spain. I mean, as we both know, living here, there is so much more to Spain than just the, yeah. the coastal And I was just thinking as well, you know, like a lot of the, I mean, when often people talk about changing the economy in Spain, they say we shouldn't be so reliant upon tourism. But it's also like you just said, uh, it's about not just getting rid or replacing or inventing a new section of the economy, but also diversifying the tourism sector itself you know um yeah you know castilla mancha uh, one of my favorite episodes from your podcast is your one where you're just basically walking around el pueblo in in as it castilla mancha or castilleon and and you know this sort of in the interior of spain the castillas and and uh and the pais basco and you know these different regions of spain have completely different identities you know you, your northern Spaniard is a completely different type of person to your southern Spaniard if you're talking about stereotypes. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, that is, you know, that that is and or should be one of Spain's unique selling points is that mm. it's, a, you know, it's regionalism, it's regional differences, a vastly, vastly diverse country in terms of its uh, its people, its food, its culture, its traditions, mm. its fiestas, its climate, uh, its geography. Um, you know, vastly different, vastly different wherever you go in Spain, as we both know. And I think that in, in that respect, maybe Spain undersells itself, really. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a good Spain, selling point. It's a, it's a fantastic selling point for the kind of uh, tourists who might enjoy, you know, going on a, a, a holiday to the, the Dordogne in France or, you know, drive, going on a driving holiday around Tuscany. You've got all of this kind of thing in Spain, but I just think it's not marketed really, or it's not marketed enough. And still the default perception of Spain is the cheap package holiday. You know? yeah. and, and, and just sort of sadly, the kind of the, uh, the, the stereotypes, the persistence of the stereotypes of bullfighting and siesta and flamenco, which of course exists and is, you know, an important part you could argue of of uh, Spanish culture, but there's just so much more to that. There's so many mm. you know, stereotypes that, that need to be ironed out. And, and actually on that point, when I was doing a bit of research, I found uh, quite a funny story actually. Um, um, going back to 2014, mm. uh, Rajoy, um, 
wanted to try and uh, attract more tourism from China. And in doing so, uh, he wanted to make the visa process uh, more quicker and simpler for Chinese tourists. Mm. And um, <laughs> quite, but it kind of backfired because sadly, the, the, there's a the newspaper in China, an English language newspaper called China Daily, uh, wrote an article about this kind of encouraging tourism, encouraging uh, Chinese Spain and uh, uh, expediting and simplifying the visa process to encourage more people to go. But the article that was written, if you look at it, um, is uh, illustrated with a bull being uh, fought by a flamenco dancer. Jesus. <laughs> and so it's just, uh, you know, and this is only going back, you know, five or six years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's still this kind of perpetuating the same old cliches of Spain, mm. um, which I imagine must have been pretty disappointing for for for, for the tourist uh, uh, Ministry of Tourism back then to see to see that being yeah. out. For me, this is an image that you would have seen in the 60s or 70s, you know? Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about it and also kind of bringing it back into how Spain is trying to market it it's trying to market itself um, and also in the face of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic um, is this, uh, well, uh, you've heard of Globo uh, España, mm. which uh, was actually a government response to the situation in Catalonia. This is going back mm. to 2018. And they, uh, they uh, Pedro Sanchez uh, responded uh, by setting up this uh, diplomacy agency called Global mm. Spain or España Global, um, really to sort of push back against, I don't know, years of, I don't know, misinformation maybe, as they would have called it. Yeah. Uh, distorted views of Spain over uh -huh. decades. A huge, it's, it's still going and it has a huge... Uh, annual budget i think it's got something like a million euros a year it's headed up by a former a former journalist and um lawyer uh called manuel muniz um and it's kind of an agency which has been basically created to defend spain's reputation but also mm. to just defend its democratic rep reputation internationally uh -huh. and i don't and i'm sure you saw this last uh I, yeah when was it last year or no maybe earlier this year um, the, the advertising campaign that came out of this agency called Spain for Sure. Right. Uh, it was yeah. a kind of internet, basically a, um, a YouTube video campaign. Mm. Um, and they made kind of, it was interesting, they made two versions of it. They made a Spanish version of this video and they made a, a, an English version of the video. Uh -huh. And basically the video... Uh, has little excerpts, little clips from a range of, I suppose you would call, the great and good of Spain. You know, Spanish celebrities, um, yeah. uh, business leaders, uh, chefs, uh -huh. sports personalities. I think we had Rafa Nadal on there. We had um, Alonso, the, the Formula One uh, racing driver, uh -huh. Fernando Alonso. You had uh -huh. the head of Santander Bank. You had a selection of uh, Olympic, Spanish Olympic athletes. You had uh, some uh, Spain's Michelin star chefs, all of this kind of thing. Basically, you know, saying, 
Spain is safe. It was this kind of strange play on words, Spain yeah. for sure. Um, and uh, I thought it was a bit cheesy, to be honest. I don't know um, really if it was if they could have done a better job of it. But uh, yeah, obviously, you know, it's certainly important for Spain to keep projecting its image globally, whether you're whether it's defending. Uh, democracy or whether it's defending uh, the country um, as a place to come and be a tourist. Yeah. Um, so I that was that was quite interesting. Yeah, the latest thing, I'm not sure if it comes from the global Spain, but, um, you know, Spanish political PR is, is famously not very good. I mean, there was the recent one, Spain Puede, which, um, you know, Spain can... Has overcome the virus was the was like the message they were trying to give across, um, no. but that was kind of poor. And and I think they've invested more money into PR now. Um, but I think you know the, anyone that's been here for an election will see how different Spanish elections are to um, certainly what me and you are used to in the UK, but even, you know, Americans and, and some of the rest of Europe, you know, the banners that hang from the lampposts, um, uh, they don't really have television campaigns, but they do have very yeah. bad debates. Um, and, yeah. you know, the, the politics and PR here have kind of a weird relationship, I think. Um, and I think, yeah, Global Spain is probably the... <laughs> the penultimate, well, not the penultimate, the, yeah. the, the perfect <laughs> product of this, like the embodiment of, of this, really. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think that you know, Spain always tries to market itself on this kind of idea of quality of life uh, as Spain's main, you know, Spain's main strength, the quality of life, which I think is, you know, yeah, you, I think that I would go along with that. I think it's kind of true. I think most people when they think of Spain, despite all of the problems that we have touched upon earlier in the podcast that yeah. we did before, um, I think the best perception by Spain of foreigners is 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 quality of life for sure. Mm. Uh, in fact, um, uh, it's actually according to the statistics I've, I've, I've found here is, um, you know, Brits, Russians and Italians are among those who rate Spain uh, highest on on its uh, of, uh, on its quality of life, mm. um, and Brits being the number one of those who uh, have the best perception of, of Spain in terms of quality of life. But it's uh, it's, it's true. It's in, important, I suppose. Uh, I noticed that out of the global Spain campaign, um, that they they want to capitalise on on what we were saying. Now it's kind of diversity cultural, uh -huh. gastronomical diversity, linguistic diversity. It's got, that's, from what I understand, what uh, uh, Spain's foreign minister wants to use to now move forward and promote Spain uh, mm. internationally and as also kind of an open and modern country. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, well, that sounds quite positive, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah compared yeah. to some of the uh other campaigns well some of the campaigns you see inside of spain from these political parties uh it's probably a good thing that they're doing something around the you know the quality of life and spain's you know real um real strengths rather than the, the you know the 
trying to get rid of this old sort of stereotype like you were saying about you know high rises and and cheap tourism and things like that um so it just yeah, depends on how um, much they push it really yeah absolutely i think it's not it's not going to, it's not necessarily easy for uh, a country like spain to to change its image and uh mm necessarily improve its image uh its sort of national brand if you like overnight mm. uh, you know i think the the, the the image or the brand that spain has kind of built for itself is, is very embedded and you know going back to franco i mean it was franco who who it was his idea to encourage uh cheap mass tourism to the spanish costas because mm. He realized there was potential to make a lot of money from it uh, towards the end of his regime. Um, and, uh, and it was his idea that to sort of capitalize on this idea of bullfighting and flamenco. Right. To, I think the other, the other thing that's interesting to mention, if we're talking about kind of Spain's perception and the perception of, its, of itself, uh -huh. um, I, just, just something I've just seen here that I forgot to mention. Uh, you know, going back to the Alcano Institute and, uh, and a report and research that they did um, from quite a long time ago. This is going back to 2013, mm. so a bit out of date, I suppose, but it's an interesting way to look at this. Um, the, it, it, it compares Spain's perception of itself with, in different areas with Spain's uh, how Spain is perceived from the outside internationally. Uh -huh. um, and it's quite interesting. It says that um, uh, in, in nearly all of the areas, so it looks at things like uh, safety, uh, uh, foreign direct investment, uh, attractiveness for foreign students, exports, uh, recognized brands, uh, government effectiveness and lifestyle. Um, in, all of those areas actually uh it's quite interesting spain is perceived more positively internationally in those areas than it is internally by its own population mm. uh, in only two areas uh was uh spain's image internationally better than the actual reality of how it was perceived in spain and that was government effectiveness uh, and lifestyle, which is quite interesting. So it's interesting how maybe, I don't know whether Spaniards right. have an unnecessarily negative view of their own country, which is not really necessarily reality. Mm. Um, and uh, compared to how, how, how Spain is perceived in those different areas um, internationally. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Would you... Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at um, I don't know, government uh, government effectiveness, and you're looking at uh, economy in terms of jobs, I can understand why Spaniards may have a negative self-image um, yeah. for reasons we talked about earlier in the podcast we did together. But yeah, because I think uh, I think you know there's quite a high level of distrust in Spain in general. Uh, with, with with politicians, I think uh, this is kind of born out of previous corruption scandals. Mm. Um, there have been, you know, loads of over the decades. Um, uh -huh. uh, so I think that has sort of breeds a sort of sort of negative self-image. 
Um, and I think in terms of the economy, you know, um, as high unemployment that we touched on, uh, maybe more job insecurity uh, in Spain than possibly other, other countries uh, or other, you know, Western European countries, let's say. Yeah. Um, so that kind of fil it filters through the, the, the wider population uh, mm. and makes them think that they maybe are worse in those respects than maybe they really are. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. And I think media, like, has a part to play in this as well because something I've noticed quite a lot about English-speaking media when it's talking about Spain, um, whether that be lifestyle or politics, um, you know, politics is often quite negative. It paints Spain quite negatively with regards to its politics, I think. Um, yeah. But like with lifestyle, it's always a bit on the jovial side, like, I don't know, sort of yes, not as serious as lifestyle is taken. And like you were saying earlier, like in France and Italy. Um, so maybe that's why people on the outside have a, you know, a different per perception of lifestyle to maybe... Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah uh, that could be. I think uh, the stereotype of maybe a Spaniard is that they're very loud and uh, maybe emotional and very mm. open and super sociable, maybe. But you know, maybe that could be construed in a negative way. Mm, yeah, possibly yeah, overly. Overly emotional, overly hot-headed, um, yeah. less rational, less serious, less, you know, um, I don't know, po po possibly that's it. I don't know, yeah. which is kind of a shame because that I think is, uh, you know, something which for me I love about Spain is how warm and open and kind of loud and uh, yeah. emotional maybe people are in general compared to us Northern Europeans who are a bit kind of colder and closed off. Mm. And I don't know. Yeah. But it's also yeah. like not, you know, that's, uh, you said there's something that you like about a country and it's certainly something that I love about, you know, the Andalusia culture and, and and also here in Madrid. But, you know, the, the north of Spain isn't really like that at all. I'd actually say the north of Spain is probably closer in character to, 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 to Germany and Britain uh, and France. Absolutely right. But I think um, those are yeah. not the parts of Spain that... You know, get airtime or press coverage. Yeah, unfortunately. And I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, sadly, still the kind of Spain that we're kind of bombarded with is, is the um, is the kind of Andalusia. You know, yeah. the fiestas and the flamenco and or the kind of the the partying and the holiday resorts. Mm. And yeah, you're right. I think that you're absolutely right. Northern Spain people are maybe more serious and more uh colder and more <laughs> more like us more northern european yeah and but uh, it's like as well when it comes to government as well like the the governments in the north of the country uh seem a lot more competent i mean the, the governments of the Pais basque or the basque country uh you know they they they're some of the richest in the country and i think they've got you know the citizens there from from time i've spent there are quite positive about their government. Um, That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and 
you know, they seem to be managing the coronavirus as well as one can manage a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I suppose the 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 thing to sort of sum up really would be: uh, Is the coronavirus going to have any drastic changes on the country? Um, like how it functions? Or, like, what do you think is the way that we are going? Uh, or is it too early to say, with regards to the direction of the country as a whole, economic, economy and politically, um, in response to what has been sort of a huge uh, year long, and probably could even be two years or three years long, yeah. Uh, yeah. coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, in terms of your average Spaniard, I don't know whether um, whether that they would see it going in any particular different direction. Um, I think, I mean, I, you know, I don't think you're going to say that, uh, that suddenly Spaniards are going to be more conscious of, you know, how close they get to people and whether they're going to stop giving each other dos besos. <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think in terms of how Spaniards will and, and how they want to live their lives in their day-to-day -day respect, I, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think mm. we're going to alter the Spanish DNA even after the coronavirus. I think, you know, people will more or less try and live their lives as, as in the same way they always have done in terms of socialising and being, mm. you know, very sociable people and wanting to be around people and spend and be with their families and this kind of thing. One thing maybe I can see changing, and I think this is a good thing that maybe has come out of coronavirus, talking about how people work in the future, right. would be that I think this is proved to Spanish businesses, be they small or or, or, or bigger, uh, that, you know, uh, flexibility, working from home, do people need to spend an hour every day or two hours every day sat in their car to drive 20 kilometers to go and sit in an office and do their job? I think if anything, and certainly talking to friends that I know, um, I think that, you know, that this has maybe changed the mentality for the better mm. that, you know, people are capable of working and being very productive and they don't always have to be sat in the office, you know, under the uh, eye of the boss. Mm. Because I think in Spain, maybe more than in other, more so in than other European countries and certainly Northern European countries, that there's always been this kind of culture of what they call presentismo. It's that kind of, well, if you're not in the office and you're not sat at your desk, then you're not working. Mm. And the kind of idea of you need to be in the office to be kind of monitored and controlled to make sure, basically, that you, this kind of, and it's quite sad, really, this idea that, you know, people can't be trusted to work outside yeah. of the office. They can't be trusted to work at home mm. because they're just going to be skiving off and not doing anything, which is obviously completely untrue. But I think it is uh, uh, part of the working culture that I've experienced and that I know many people have experienced here in Spain. But I think this situation has disproven that massively, if mm. it needed to be disproven even, that people can work from home um, successfully and productively, if not more productively. And I think uh, I, I have a friend of mine who works for Santander Bank in the head office here in Madrid. And um, as, of, as of next year, Santander are gonna 
offer their office staff, uh, 50% of their office staff, the opportunity to work from home. Wow. Um, because they've realized that they can do their jobs from home. And okay, maybe they need to go in the office uh, once or twice a week if, if absolutely necessary. Mm. But for 50%, they're going to be asked to sign a new contract to say that they have the opportunity. They're not, it's wow. not going to be mandatory. They're not going to be no. forced to work from home. But if they want to, and if it suits them better, and it helps them manage their home life better, that they will have the opportunity to do that. And this is mm. Santander, you know, one of Spain's biggest bank, I think, isn't it? Uh, opening themselves up to a more flexible, forward-thinking, more modern way of working, mm. um, which come about through coronavirus. So, I think that can be a is a fantastic thing, uh, definitely. Um, because let's face it, Spaniards work long hours, and they spend yeah. a lot of time in their office. Um, and I've I've experienced it, and I know a lot of my Spanish friends experience this idea of well, you know, I've got to be there, and I've got to stay until the boss goes home, because mm. which is crazy. This is a kind of working mentality from you know the 1950s almost, yeah, like, the yeah. old fashioned, and it's actually very unproductive because we know for a fact in numerous surveys conducted that shows that Spain Spaniards work some of the longest hours in Europe. But actually, some of the least productive. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's something in that. I, I think is quite interesting. So I think that that could be a change we would see off the back of the pandemic in the coming years. More of that. Um, um, looking at the bigger picture, um, as we've talked about before, um, how how the Spanish government is going to use this uh, pandemic recovery funds to, um, I don't know, divert how, how, where it's going to invest it. And is it going to invest it in you know, human capital? Is it going to uh, invest it in, uh, look in you know, diversifying the Spanish economy, looking at ways where they can move away from mm. tourism or they can diversify and look at different ways of doing tourism? Um, um, the education system is something that definitely needs to be looked at. Is, yeah. is this an opportunity for them to invest money in education? Mm-hmm. Uh, overhaul the education system because, you know, the, the education system has had loads of reforms over the years, but not much has really changed. Uh, there needs to be more investment maybe in uh, opportunities for vocational training mm-hmm. as opposed to traditional university route um that needs to be looked at uh more encouraging innovation and and research and development uh sectors of the spanish economy which need to uh grow more i think because there's definitely the potential i mean uh spain has a, a a huge uh platform of qualified um of qualified people in all different uh in all different sectors that they're maybe not capitalizing on and i think this is a problem as well that you know uh that 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 uh, this uh, money could be used to 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 help the situation uh because you know spain has a very high percentage of overqualified people people have university degrees and master's degrees who are working in jobs which are um you know, it's t- typically uh, student uh, jobs so yeah they're, they're, yeah they're overqualified for 
Um, yeah. And also this idea of moving away uh, from temporary contracts uh-huh. as well. Which is a huge um, problem in this is country, isn't problem it? In um, I think that, or, or basically, as we talked about previously, uh, structural reforms. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if anything can come out of this uh, terrible situation with coronavirus is that using this money in the in the best way possible and yeah. i think the best way possible is to use this money to help at least start the ball rolling uh with these structural reforms um which mm. really i think start at every level but we're looking certainly at uh, education and, and jobs and investment uh, looking at diversity and diversification of the spanish economy and i think uh-huh. that, that, that that for me is the yeah the absolute essential uh uh-huh. change that we need to see uh, off the back of uh, of of coronavirus and you know this is po- i don't know hopefully possibly uh, a golden opportunity uh for spain to use this money um to do that and not just uh use it going down the same routes that it's always gone down yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've got the infrastructure there as well. I mean, the the infrastructure in Spain, uh, I don't know if you'd agree, but is pretty good. Like the trains are brilliant, the motorways are really good. I I think I think it would be unwise to invest that money in more infrastructure. I think as Uh it stands, (coughs) Spain Spain has fantastic infrastructure in terms of road and rail transport networks. Mm. Uh, that kind of thing, uh, great infrastructure, uh, maybe modernization of facilities in schools, universities, and hospitals. Um, yeah. But I don't think we need to be building anything. We do, I don't think we need to be building any more roads and rail networks. To be honest, yeah. I think this needs to be invested in um, education uh, and 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 looking finding ways to diversify the economy, as you, we touched on mm. earlier, with um, digital economy. Um, and the green economy as well. I think those are areas where Spain could potentially could do well, uh, not just uh, tourism and construction. Um, thanks, Paul. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Paul, for coming on the Sobre Mesa podcast. Just listening back to then, I, I can't believe that I forgot the saying, mi casa su casa. Um, but it was definitely brilliant to team up with Paul from the When in Spain podcast. You can find his podcast on all platforms. I think it's on more than, than the Sobre Mesa podcast. Uh, but you can also find it on his website, whenInSpainPodcast.com. Uh, it's certainly great to listen to his podcast. And he has some really interesting guests on there as well. The Sobre Mesa podcast will be back with you in, in the next few weeks. Uh, for our up-and-coming episodes, I have the history of anarchism uh, with two very well-informed anarchist scholars. Uh, and also, I will be hopefully bringing you a very in-depth um, look at the new Spanish budget, which will probably take this government throughout their time in in office um and i hope to have owen gilmartin and tommy green with me for that episode so that's definitely something to look out for thanks very much for staying with the sobremesa podcast this podcast um is nothing without its listeners 
Uh, and it's great. I've been getting lots of good feedback in recent weeks over Twitter um, and Facebook. So please keep listening. Uh, make sure you listen to all our old episodes. Uh, there's some there's some gold ones in there. Um, and I hope to keep bringing you episodes over Christmas uh, and next year. If you could leave us a review, that would be great because it bumps us up in the ratings and more people then get to find us. Thanks very much for listening. Look after yourselves. Goodbye. Thank you.